You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truths from his word today. Take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. For those of you who are here last week, we talked about the thing that we ought to be the most thankful for, and that was God's love for us. Now what I want to talk about this morning is what is the most important thing in the Christian's life. Stop and think about it. What is the most important thing in the Christian life? I'm sure that if we open it up for answers, there'd be a lot of different answers that you would give as to what you think is the most important. But what does Christ say is the most important thing in our life as Christians? I'm not going to take time to read this whole chapter, just a few selected verses. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then went the Pharisees, the conservative religious leaders of Jesus' day. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him, the Lord Jesus, in his talk. And so they proposed this scenario to him. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? So they want to know where the Lord Jesus fell in this argument verse 22 when they had heard these words they marveled and left him and went their way the same day came unto him the Sadducees these were the liberals of their day which say that there is no resurrection and ask him several questions concerning the resurrection In verse 33, and when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine or at his teachings. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Read verse 38 with me. This is the first and great commandment. What is the most important thing in the life of the believer? That we would love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. Please use the scriptures and the blessed Holy Spirit to minister to us and to drive this point home very deeply within our hearts that the most important thing for us as a believer is to love you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said last week, we talked about what we should be the most grateful for as we entered into our celebration of thanksgiving and that was the love of god and there are several things that we considered and i want to do just a review of where we were last week because i see that several of you uh, were not with us last week and so we're glad you're here 
this week. We saw that the love of God is inexhaustible. He loves us with an everlasting love. God is never going to run out of love for us. Give me an amen. Praise the Lord for that. It comes from a well that never will run dry. We saw that God's love is unmeasurable. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, distress, persecution, famineness, nakedness, or peril, or the sword, as it is written, for thy sake they are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, nay, in all things. We are more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. His love is inexhaustible. His love is beyond measure. We also saw that his love is indescribable. How could we ever describe or put into words the love that God has for us? For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, he demonstrated his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The indescribable love of God. We also saw that God's love is incomprehensible. We really can't wrap our mind around, we can't explain it, we can't wrap our mind around how much the Lord loves us. The Bible said that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. God's love for us passes even our ability. Our minds can't even begin to comprehend how much God loves us. We also saw last week that God's love is a forgiving love. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, our Savior said as he hung on the cross for you and me. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. And I love this statement, that by the grace of God, he should taste death for every man. God's forgiving love is available to every person on the face of this earth. And then we saw that God's love is a sacrificial love. And this was manifest, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son, a sacrificial love, into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the what? propitiation for our sins and that word propitiation is found four times in the scriptures and I told you last week I have a King James study Bible and my King James study Bible gives this definition of what it means the word propitiation propitiation is the act of God motivated by his immense love whereby he accepts the blood of Christ as the complete and satisfying sacrifice for all sin, thus establishing a means of reconciliation between God and man. 
while the offering of the blood of Christ was sufficient propitiation for the sins of the whole world, the benefits of his sacrifice are only available to those who accept him by faith. The love that God has for us. Wow. Now today I want to talk about our love for God. His love for us. Our love now for him. To love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all our mind is the most important thing in the life of the believer. We love him because he what? Last week, he first loved us. This week, we love him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his what? How do we know if we love God? We what? We keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous for us to keep. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all. Don't you love those words like for all? Everyone. Whosoever. That if one died for all, then we're all dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And that he, Christ, died for all. That Listen to me. Are you still with me? That they which live. How many of you here are alive today? Some of you I have some serious question about. That they which live. Listen. Because he loves us enough that he came to this earth and died on the cross for our redemption. That they which live should not. Henceforth, from this point on, from the point of salvation on, should not henceforth live unto themselves. But unto him which died for them and rose again. Constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. It compels us. It should preoccupy us. It sh we should be taken with it. We should be controlled by his love for us in so much that we no longer live our lives for ourselves, but we live our lives for him. Give, a, give me an amen to that. That's why the most important thing in the life of the believer is our love for the Lord Jesus. Not for ourselves. So how do we develop? How do we develop a love that is so deep, so meaningful that it compels us, it constrains us to live in such a way that our lives glorify and please the Lord? You may remember, I just touched on it last week there in John chapter 14 where Jesus said, If you love me, you will... If you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. Those who don't love me, they don't keep my commandments. But those who love me and keep my commandments, the Father and I will come and we will manifest ourselves to them. There's a special relationship that God has with those who love him and walk in obedience to his commandments. I'm not talking about obeying the Lord because the preacher made you feel guilty. 
How many have ever felt guilty from a message? I know you have because I have. I feel guilty on my own messages. You know what? That's why I preach them, so you feel guilty too. <laughs> no, we shouldn't obey the Lord just simply out of guilt. We shouldn't obey the Lord just simply because we're ashamed. How many, how many have ever been ashamed of the way they've lived their lives? Well, we shouldn't be shamed into obeying the Lord. How about this one? We shouldn't even obey the Lord out of duty or responsibility. Now it is our duty and responsibility, right? We're doing only that which is our duty to do, but that really isn't the motivation that should be behind our obedience to Christ. The thing that ought to be compelling us, constraining us, motivating us, is our love for him. I think most of us who have been in church for any period of time are familiar with the church at Ephesus, the book of Revelation, the letter to the seven churches. And that church at Ephesus, they were rebuked because they had what? They had what? Left their first love. It doesn't say they lost their first love. You ever heard someone say, well, I, I lost my love for my wife? No, you didn't. You left it. They left their first love. Now, if we had time to study this church, which I have done in our series of the Revelation, we would find that, that this church was a good church. Right? We would call it a good, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing church. It was one of those churches that if you were to look up on the internet to find a church to worship at, you would worship at this church. This church would be what we would call a like-minded church. We would say, this church is in our camp. It was a good church. It was a fundamental church. The people in the church were working and they were serving. You know, tonight we're going to have all those who are teaching are going to start the evening service, you're going to start in the teen room. There's only going to be a handful of us left here in this room. Why? Because there's so many of us in the church that are involved in the teaching ministry. Then if we were to include all those who aren't necessarily involved in the teaching ministry, but are involved in some other aspect of ministry, which there are many in our church, I would be left with probably nobody here for the evening service. That's why I'm saying this church was, was much like our church. It was a good church. It was a serving church. It was a fundamental church. They were laboring. The Bible says they were patient. They were well taught. The Bible says they had spiritual discernment. The Bible tells us that they were doctrinally sound. They, they endured hardship for the cause of Christ and they remained faithful. How many want to attend a church like that? Me too. And I believe that we have a church like that. 
And every one of those, seriously, I really got tried to get honest with the Lord. I said, are we that way? And I'm, yeah, for the most part, we are. But then John, the author of the Revelation, was to write to the pastor of that church, and the pastor of that church was to communicate this letter to the church, and it says this, Nevertheless, despite all those great things about your church, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. They were doing all of these things, but the motivation behind their doing was not their love for the Lord. Do you all see how easy it is to fall into that trap? What caused them to leave their first love? Well, here's a question. Why did this happen to them? Now, I'm sure there were, there were a handful in the church that still were loving the Lord as they should, but, but the majority had left their first love. Let me give you this verse. Matthew 24, verse 12 says this, Because iniquity... You know what iniquity... Iniquity is different than sin. Iniquity is doing what you know is wrong. Sometimes we sin and... We kind of do it ignorantly, right? But iniquity is when you know that what you're doing is wrong, but you in rebellion... Go ahead and do it anyway. That's iniquitous. Because iniquity shall abound. How many of you believe we know more of what we should be doing than we're doing? I raise my hand with you. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall what? Wax cold. When I think of that waxing cold, I think of those soft dipped ice cream cones in chocolate. I never did care for those. They're so messy. But you take that cold ice cream and you dip it in that hot chocolate, which is made of paraffin wax. Doesn't that sound delicious? <laughs> you bring it up and then you put a few sprinkles on it. It hardens. Listen, when we get that coldness in our hearts towards the things of the Lord, that love for the Lord, it just hardens. Now, I'm not saying that that is the case with even the majority of us here. It may not be. I don't know because I don't know your heart. You don't even know my heart. Can I tell you something? There's been times when I have really preached a good message, but my heart wasn't right. Sometimes I preach a really bad message and my heart was right. Now I can't figure that one out. But because I do not know the condition of your heart and you do not know the condition of my heart. Sometimes that is only evident as to how a person lives their life. Sorry. But the Bible does say, by their fruit ye shall what? What? 
heard someone say one time, we shouldn't be fruit inspectors. I'm not telling you to be fruit inspectors, but when there's rotten fruit there, just the smell of it, right? There's nothing worse than smelling rotten fruit. And there's nothing worse than smelling a rotten Christian. David said, I delight, I delight to do thy will, O God, thy law is written in my heart. Why did he delight to obey God? Why? Because he loved the Lord. (laughs) Thy testimonies are the rejoicing of my heart. Paul said, I delight in the law of God after the, after the inward man, doing the will of God from the heart. You've heard me say this before. It is all about the heart. We are to love him with all of our heart. So how do we fulfill that commandment? Which is the basis of fulfilling all the other commandments. How do we do that? Take your Bible now and turn to 1 Peter with me. First Peter. Greg, are you okay? All right, don't be walking in and out, okay? Because when you do that, Everybody watches you, and I lose their attention. Okay? All right. And by the way, I guess this is a good time to pause. If you could only see what I see, I want to, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight here. Go to the restroom before service begins. No, I'm dead serious with it. I mean, if you've got a baby that's crying... You know, and distracting, that, that's one thing. Get up and get them out. Okay? Don't hold your hand over their mouth. That doesn't help. Okay? They just gasp louder. I'm going to win this battle. I'm, I'm up here getting in the flesh. You don't want the preacher to get in the flesh. But it's, it's amazing how much distraction there is by people getting up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Anyway, that was not part of the message. But thank you, Greg, for adding that. I appreciate that. Would God ever ask us to do something that would be impossible for us to do? I don't think so. If he asks us to love him with all of our heart, then is it possible to love him with all of our heart? Well, of course it is. So how do we do that? Let's look at verse 7. 1 Peter 1, verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and the honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 8. Whom having not seen, ye what? Can you love someone that you've never seen? 
Oh, we know that. How about all this internet dating that's going on? <laughs> Whom having not seen ye what? You love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Is it possible to love him with all of our heart? Is it possible to love someone whom we have never seen? Yes, it is. So how do we do that? Well, as I really pondered that, this verse came to my mind. John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will. Now, is it God's will for you and I to love him with all of our heart, even though we've never seen him? How many say yes, that definitely is God's will? This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So he's going to hear that prayer request. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So first of all, let's say this. One of the reasons maybe that you don't love the Lord with all your heart is your heart's not right. But let's get that cleared up. But then is to ask him. To ask the Lord to give you that kind of love for him. I think it was Luke that wrote, shall not I give the Holy Spirit to them that ask, and yet we never ask the Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit. So the first thing I would really encourage you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, but if I could I, have you raise your hand, I would say, how many of you have ever seriously, I mean, gotten down on your knees and beseeched the Lord, Lord, give me that love for you that I should have. I think it starts there. And then there's five more things that I want to share with you. I have brought these things forth in past messages, so they may be familiar to some of you here who are listening or maybe taking notes. Remember that to the church at Ephesus that left their first love, he said, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. So we need to stop. How many would say right now, there was a time in my life when I was really in love with the Lord? Can I see your hand? Okay. And that, that still may be the case. There was a time in my life when I was really in love with the Lord. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor, there was a time in my life when I was really in love with the Lord and serving the Lord, and, and yet I backslid, and I left my... Any of you here, just raise your hand. I, I have. There was some backsliding took place in my life. Some carnality came into my life. See, I believe that this world is full of all kinds of competing loves. If there was another man who was making advances toward my wife and I knew about that, 
I guarantee you this preacher would take care of him. Amen. I would not allow another man to make any kind of advances whatsoever towards my wife. Why? Because I want her to love me with all of her heart. Not give her heart to someone else. Now we can also talk about that when it comes to courting. Can I say something to you, courting couples? Listen, don't give your heart away. Don't, don't give a piece of your heart to this guy or that girl or this guy or that girl because then when you really find the right one, you don't have much of your heart to give to him or her. Careful who you give your heart to. But let's talk about these competing loves. Number one is the love of self. 2 Timothy 3, 2 says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. The other day I was watching the news and the reporter was in the swamp in Washington. And all these congressmen were walking by and this reporter made this statement. He said, you know why there is so much dysfunction in Washington? He said, because all of these men and women are full of themselves. Boy, he nailed it right. You think of all of the pride and arrogancy that there is in Washington. And it's led to nothing but dysfunction for our country. The love of self. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Not lovers of God, but lovers of their own self. We live in a generation now that is absolutely in love with themselves. How many have ever heard of narcissism? A few years ago, you never heard that term. Remember the first time I heard it, I was like, what? And then I began to hear it more and more and more and more. Narcissism is the pursuit of self-gratification, the admiration of oneself, one's own abilities, attributes, and achievements. We say, that person is so narcissistic. They're so stuck on themselves. The definition of narcissism, the term originated from Greek mythology where Narcissus, a young, handsome Greek youth, fell in love with his own image reflected in a pool of water. These advances eventually led Narcissus to fall so in love with himself and his, his reflection in the pool of water that he lay gazing enraptured into the pool hour after hour until he finally turned into a flower that bears his name. Now that's Greek mythology. But boy, do we ever live in a culture where people are in love with themselves. I know I have picked on the millennials. I'm going to pick on you again. But I love the millennials in our church. 
the millennials in our church have a heart for God. At least the majority of them do. You know why? Because they have a Judeo-Christian worldview. But the Judeo-Christian worldview that many of us grew up with has been educated, for the most part, completely out of this generation. The millennials are someone between the age of 23 and 38. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Well, we have quite a few of you here. Okay. You have been labeled as the me generation. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. You have also been labeled as the entitled generation. We are entitled. You have such leaders as AOC and Sanders and Warren and others within the Democratic Party. Seven out of ten millennials, this should scare us to death, now believe and embrace socialism. According to Pew Research. What does socialism teach? It's all about me. It's all about me and what I can get. We are the selfie generation. I have never taken a selfie. I refuse to do it. (laughs) On the matter of principle, I am not going to do it. But who would ever thought that we would have to coin a a new word, selfie? How did the greatest of all Christians view himself? He said, I am carnal. I am sold under sin, Paul said. The things that I should do, I don't do. The things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Here was a man that was not in love with himself, but he was in love with Jesus Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said, I am the least of the apostles. I am not meet even to be called an apostle. Most people today do not have a problem with low self-esteem. Now you'll hear that. Some do. I'll, I'll grant that. Some do. I would call it low self-worth because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. But our problem isn't low self-esteem. Our problem is we have too much esteem. Narcissism. Pride runs deeply in the heart of every one of us. And I'm here to tell you, Until we humble ourselves before a holy God and we get out of love with ourselves, we'll never get in love with Him. It's Listen, it's not about me. It's all about Him. Number two is the love of pleasure. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, number one. They'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Do we have a generation now that is consumed with pleasure? 
Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. What's wrong with pleasure is being just preoccupied with it. Solomon said, I said in my heart, go to now and I will prove thee with mirth or amusement, excessive laughter. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. Enjoy it. Give your heart to pleasure. And he said, behold, this also is vanity. We have a whole generation that has given themselves to pleasure. And sin does have pleasure before season. And you listen to me, young people. Please listen to your preacher. Please. This is the most deceptive aspect of sin. It'll give you pleasure before season. James 5.5 5 says, Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton, empty. You lived for pleasure, but it left you, what church? Empty. Some of you have been there. The drinking, the party, the drugs, the sex, and you name it. Whatever I can do to, to fill my life with pleasure, 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 stimulate me. And yet you find yourself one. Empty. You know why it's so hard to get people in church today? There used to be a time in our country, just about everyone went to church. I mean, I'm old enough to re remember everything shut down on Sunday, everything. You couldn't get gas on Sunday. Isaiah 58, verse 13 tells us why we have turned away our foot from the Sabbath, because we delight in finding our own pleasure. That's why we cannot get even God's people to be faithful to church, because it's all about their pleasure. Well, there is unrighteous pleasure. But then there's also righteous pleasure. There's things that God has given us to enjoy, but listen, we should not be consumed with those things. We should not live for those things. Number three, men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be lovers of pleasure. Number three, they'll be lovers of money. The love of what? I can't hear you. The love of what? The love of money is the root of all evil, while some having coveted, it's the key word in that passage, coveted after, have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Do you know this? All, 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 all sin can be traced back to covetousness. Why? Because if we are not content with our present situation, we'll be drawn to lust after things of this world and away from God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
We brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be what? Content. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be lovers of pleasure. They'll be lovers of money. Then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. You know how you can protect yourself from this one? Practice giving. Giving is something that the Lord gave to us to protect us from the love of money. The Bible talks about tithing. The Bible talks about free will offerings. The Bible talks about mission giving. The Bible talks about sacrificial faith giving. The Bible talks about giving to the poor. The Bible talks about giving, 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 giving. Why? Because giving protects us from covetousness. Number four. You still all hanging with me? How many did I tell you we were going to have? We're almost there. Number four. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, lovers of, lovers of, and lovers of this present world. 2 Timothy 4.10 Demas hath forsaken me, walked right out of the church and out of the ministry, having loved this present world. How many of you know several people who once used to be very faithful to church but now they never darken the door of the church house. Demas, put whose ever name in there, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The love of this world, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Boy, there's a lot of things in this world to love, isn't there? It is one of the most powerful temptations that believers are going to face. Technology, maybe I, have my, I don't have my phone on me. Technology has just put the world right into our hands. The world passeth away and the lust thereof. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of this world. Come out from among them and be separate. Why are so many Christians carnal? I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Why are they so carnal? The love of this present world. And the love of this present world has pushed out of their hearts their love for the Lord. You know, this is where we've now gotten today as a church. Is the church has now said, you know what? We have to become like the world if we're going to reach the world. Not. Seriously, that's how worldly and how out of love we have gotten with the Lord and how in love we have gotten with the present world that now we are changing our ministries so our ministries will attract the worldly. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. There's that all men again. 
This is what God's grace teaches us, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Men shall be lovers of their own what? Lovers of? Lovers of? Lovers of? This present world. And here's the last one. I'll end with this. Lovers of their families. Have you ever heard someone say, my family is the most important thing to me? Your family is not the most important thing to you. He that loveth father or mother more than me is what? Come on, church, is not what? Worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If any man come unto me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters, yea, and even his own life, he cannot be one of my disciples. That word hate is a comparative. It means to love far less. Our love for the Lord has to be so great that our love for anything or anyone else in comparison to our love for the Lord would be like hatred. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of this present world, lovers of their family. How many people do you know, think about it, have really become unfaithful to the Lord and can't even be used by the Lord because family is so important. We, we have a family reunion on Sunday. Sorry, we can't go to church on Sunday. There was only one time that I can remember. And I wrestled with this. It was on a... My, um, my sister's daughter had, a gra- had her graduation on a Sunday night. And we didn't have much dealings with my sister. They lived in Grand Rapids. We lived here. We were invited to come. And I mean, I wrestled with this. Should, should I not go to church and should I go up there? And um, I said to my wife, I said, honey, I just, for whatever reason, I believe I'm going to make an exception. We're going to go up. I just feel that we need to go to the graduation. So I went to church Sunday morning. We drove up to Grand Ra- um, Cedar Springs. We drove up there. We, we went to graduation. They had open house afterwards at the church. And then we went to my mom's house. And my mom died the next day. It's the last time I ever saw my mom. There may be some exceptions. And I believe God really... I'm glad there was a wrestling that went on with that, that, that it wasn't just, oh yeah, I'm going to skip church and go. What was Jesus saying? You know what he was really saying in this passage? Count the cost. One commentary, and I'll close with this, said, the Lord's teaching in this parable 
pressed home to his followers that no family love, no earthly affection must ever come into competition with our love for God. If home, family, and his cause ever come into collision, home and family and all that belong must be put aside and everything must be sacrificed for the cause of Christ. My dear church family, we will never, ever love the Lord with all of our heart until we fight. And I mean fight. Aren't we going to be fighting against these loves for the rest of our lives? Because they're always going to try to encroach upon our hearts. We're going to fight a good fight of faith. So are you fighting? Or have you just given in to these lovers? Have they stolen your heart? Let's have every head bowed and dry closed. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.